This morning's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. I will be reading from the New International Version today. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I just got back from spending a week with my best friend of 38 years. Uh, We did some fishing together. And, um, you know, it's really good to say my best friend of 38 years. Most, the the average American male doesn't have friends. At least that's what the statistics say. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about my relationship with Paul. Uh, I met him shortly after college, and this was, so I became a Christian after college, and then uh, I got married, and then uh, Patty and I met Paul, and then his wife Kathy, in, the, in I think it was 1980, is that 38 years ago? My, is my math good? Okay. And um, I immediately, he, he came to our Bible study small group, which was young adults, and uh, various phases of that, and uh, I didn't like him. And I'll tell you why I didn't like him. And this is, I mean, this is my first impression was, well, one is that he was an extrovert, uh, a, a flaming extrovert, and he was brash, and um, he seemed to know everything. And uh, he was, you know, back in the 80s, they had this thing in California called the self-esteem movement. Well, he had too much of that stuff. <laughs> he drank too deeply from the waters of self-esteem. And he was from the Bay Area. And, he, and if you're from the Bay Area, he was from Los Altos, which is where your parents tell you that you're better than anybody else. And he, you know, he just drank all that stuff in. So uh, he, he laughed about it. I didn't know all this stuff, but he, I found out he could laugh at himself. So we ended up being in this group together, and I gradually grew to love him. And he, to love me, he would say that if he were here. And we, we do tell each other that we love each other. And uh, that's just the way it is. And I feel good about that. Um, but um, the, the thing I want to say is if I hadn't stood with the, the person, if I hadn't pers- persevered through that, not liking him to a deeper love of the person, uh, I would have missed out. In, in my life. He, he has been such an encourager to me over time. And so when I get discouraged, I call Paul. And it, it confirms what I know uh, also this, this truth that I've kind of grabbed onto is that don't judge others just because they uh, have a weakness different from your own. Right? Because we all, you know, we're all in, we bring our imperfect selves to, not just to worship God, but we bring our imperfect selves into community. And here's the deal. I think if Jesus, I think this is consistent with what Jesus would say. You don't have to like everybody. You just have to love them. And it's getting from liking to loving. And now I really do like my friend Paul. Although he irritates the heck out of me. After spending a week with him, I could go on on that. But I love him. I do love him. And he's encouraged me in so many ways. So... We're gonna, that's where we're probing this morning, is what does it mean to love deeply? And um, last week, we're, 
we introduced this uh, graphic, Love God Passionately. That's what we were talking about last week, and we based that in the text, the same text that was read today, which is called The Great Commandment. And it has two parts, but it starts with loving God. And then Jesus says to love others. And so love God passionately. We talked about what that means with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love others deeply. So that's where we're going. And then next week is the Great Commission. So we have these summary statements that Jesus said. He says, everything I'm teaching you is wrapped up. The whole Bible is wrapped up in loving God, loving people. But then the last words that Jesus had uh, are about blessing the world, making disciples. So we're focusing in on the main things that Jesus had to say to us, kind of re immersing ourselves in the great truths of the scriptures. So, all right, so there's to love others deeply is our chore today, and we're going to do that by getting into that by asking these three questions. What does the text say? What does it mean to love others deeply? I'm going to have Sharon come up and uh, answer that one. And then how can we grow in loving others deeply? So uh, the first, what does the text say? I'm going to just pick out three things that, were impressed upon me as I kind of hovered over it this uh, this week. One is that Jesus is very, very, and this will surprise you, he's very, very biblical. The Bible, I know that, right? Yeah, big, yeah, write that down. It's really <laughs> profound. But the Bible that Jesus had to work with was what we call the Old Testament. But when he answers the question that someone asks, uh, what is what is the greatest commandment? He answers it from the Bible of his day, and he answers first from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four: "Thou shalt love the Lord thy God." As we already quoted that one, and then he goes to Leviticus chapter nineteen. Everybody's favorite book, Leviticus chapter nineteen, uh, verse eighteen, and it says that you should love other people as you love yourself. So that's in that you know. So he quotes those two. And uh, I want to go a little bit deeper on the biblical part. And I mentioned this last week, is that in these two commandments, you have the, the, so love God and love people, you have, actually have the Ten Commandments. And you have the loving God part in the first three and a half, because the fourth commandment goes both directions. It's about having Sabbath. And on Sabbath, the idea is to uh, love God and love people in a, in a restful way. And so you know, you're here today as part of this is typically a Sabbath for Christians on a Sunday. And then part of that is loving God, being here and being with family and others, uh, loving God, loving people. So uh, but then you have the first three commandments are all about loving God. Uh, no other gods before me, no, make no idols and keep my name holy. Those are the, the first three. So loving God. And then the second six and a half commandments are about loving people. And you have that, so what Jesus is saying here is a summary of the Ten Commandments. But he, he puts it in the grand positive because the Ten Commandments are all about don't do these things. Ten times, don't do these things. So which, the question I have to wrestle with to see how biblical Jesus is here, because he's taking it beyond where the Old Testament was, but he's saying, um, love people, instead of mentioning those six commandments, he's saying, love people. And which is harder? So here's four of the six. Uh, don't murder, uh, don't commit adultery, don't steal, and don't lie. And you can think, well, you know, I've never murdered anybody, and I haven't committed adultery, and no, I did. Well, I shop. I got caught shoplifting when I was 13. Okay, I've, I've confessed that one before here, so you guys know that. 
And then, uh, gee, I've told some small lies, especially on the golf course, but, you know, um, or fishing, yeah. My, my friend Paul, he says, there's no upside to having a measuring tape with you when you're fishing. There's just, just none. So we don't, we don't, yeah, we just, that was part of our conversation. So anyway, is it harder to obey those four commandments or to love people? Now think about, before you answer that, I want you to think about this, because Jesus intensifies things by saying, love people. And he says, you are to love your enemies, your political enemies, your, those people maybe that you don't like. You're to love them. You're to pray for them. You're to forgive them. Shoot, I think it'd be easier, a lot easier to not murder somebody, don't you think? I mean, so just be, be careful. This is really hard. He's, he's really making the law a lot harder. And uh, we're going to need some help in obeying this one. And it's, okay, so it's very, very biblical. It's also that um, this text is getting at this idea that love is primary. Bible is, is primary, but love is at the heart of the biblical message. And so we, we think that behind this text, assumed in this text, is the idea that God first loved us, and then we respond to that love by first loving him first, and then loving people second. And you can't say, this is the, this is the part that John says in his letter, first letter, you can't say, I love God, but people, not so much. You can't do that. You see, and we think God maybe is easier to love. Well, read the Bible a little bit there, and you'll find that this God is not, a, I mean, it's hard to understand some of the things he does. And, and um, so be careful. <laughs> There's a, um, the idea that, it, the reason that the, the great commandment starts with loving God and then moves to loving people um, is because the way, one of the ways you're going to show that you love God is through loving people. But you see, love is, I mean, it's like the Bible is just screaming love. It's the main message. And that's what Jesus is saying in these great commandments. And without love, we're, we're nowhere. If we fulfill all the other commandments, but we fail to love God and love people, what if, it doesn't count for anything. So this is, this is like the summary statement. It's the one thing that we should be known for. So this is, this is my, another crazy story. So we had to, to, to do this little fishing trip thing, we had to borrow somebody's truck. It was a really nice Ford F-150. And I got to drive it, and I had fun driving it. But we got it really dirty. My friend Paul, if I'm Felix, he's Oscar, if you know what that means. He's a slob. He, you know, I lived all week with a slob. Of course, my wife tells me that she lives all the time with a slob, but it's all relative, right? I got home and the house got dirty. Well, um, my, but my friend, really, isn't it, this is human relationships. We're all a mess, but it's just different ways. And, and so the truck, on the outside, it was really dirty. And then on the inside, it was really dirty. We were going to take it to a car wash where you can do both inside and outside. We're going to do this. So we, we go to this place that we knew about. It was, a, it was a, a gas station place. So they, but they had the car wash right there. We pull up, and there's two traffic cones right there. You can't go in. So I'm thinking, okay, what do we do? So I go into the gas station. I said, we'd like to get a car wash. And the woman behind the counter smiles at me, and she says, 
We are out of soap. What, what, what's a car wash without soap? If you, go to, if you go to Starbucks, what do you expect to have? If you go to a church, what would you expect? If you knew what Jesus said, what would you expect to find? People that love God and love each other. So I want you, I just the, the primacy of love, the primacy of let's start with the Bible and then love, and then we have to deal with this little statement to love other people as we love ourselves. And it's not a bad question to ask: Do you love yourself? And you know, there's a lot of footnotes on that one when you answer it, right? He says, "Yeah, I kind of love myself, but I hate this about myself, or whatever." But it, that's, it's just loving other people. So what does Jesus mean when he says that to love others as we love ourselves? Because it seems really critical to what he's saying. And the Bible assumes that you love yourself to a, in a certain way, and that is that you value yourself, that you see yourself as made by God in his image, and that therefore you are valuable, and you have something to offer the world, and you, know, you have a place, and it's that kind of stuff we're talking about here. And you have self-interest, which aren't all bad. I mean, you take care of yourself, you know for the sake of yourself and for others. But there are two perversions of um, that commandment, to love others as we love ourselves. If if we don't get the self part right, we're not going to get the other part right. And one is that we are overvaluing in ourselves. That's called narcissism. Anybody know anybody in that category? If if you're in that category, you don't know it. Just by the way, you know, it's not, yeah. We know self-deceit is real because we see it in other people, not in ourselves. Right. But narcissism is the overvaluing of self, the uh, absorption of self. Everything is about me, you, and that's one way to do it. And then there's the undervaluing of self, which we would call self-loathing or self-hate. And that's not good either. Both of those are a perversion of what it means to love yourself appropriately. And um, they both tend to make, a, either in either category, high or low, They tend to blind us to the people. We can't see the people around us. And if we can't see the people around us and see that they have value and see that they have stories, then we will be unable to love those people. So to to have an appropriate self-love is really important to loving other people. It seems to me that that's the natural thing that God, that's how he's made us naturally is to have that value for ourselves, but we need that supernatural touch that encourages us to not just keep our thing here, but to go outward and love other people. And so that's called the gospel. It's when God touches you with that kind of love that you didn't earn. It's just a touch from the, from the God of heaven who loves you. And you get this reservoir of love that is not natural, but supernatural in source. And then that can flow to others. Until you have something that you've received, you have nothing that you can give, is the biblical principle. Okay, now, so those are some observations on the text. I want to ask Sharon to come on up and help us answer the, uh, the second question. By the way, I love Sharon. Yeah, we should make that clear. Yes, make it clear. We, yeah, okay. It is a, a good reminder as we go into this, um, that the love that we're going to talk about here, what does it mean to love others deeply, is something we have to have received from God. I mean, 
Mark made that so clear. Otherwise, we're striving for something that is just pseudo-love. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. What does it mean to love deeply? What does it mean for us as followers of Jesus to take this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, and make it real with real people in real situations? So I want to just share with you a, a, a passage from First Peter. And especially bring this up because you think of this message coming from someone who lived and walked with Jesus. His disciples who he saw Jesus model this kind of love. And so for them to be able to speak about this, they have some other model they're thinking of. And so when Peter is writing to his church there, 1 Peter 1, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8, he encourages them. Above all, he, he'd been talking about things are tough with this church. Things are not, we're wondering if persecution is coming. The end is near, he even said. But then he says, above all, my encouragement to you in this, love each other deeply. For love covers a multitude of sins. Not only Peter talks about this one in his letters, John, as Pastor Mark said, John talks about this too. He had experienced the love of Jesus, and so John in his letter writes about, we love because he first loved us. And he writes about love, not as just this warm feeling we have for people who make us feel good, but love that is done with action and in truth. He says it this way in John 1 John, Dear children, let us not love with words, or with speech, but with action and in truth. And that's what it means to love deeply. Letting the love that we've gotten received from God overflow to love other people. So what, is it, what are some of the ways we can measure? What does this deep love look like? And I'm going to suggest three things for us this morning. There probably are a lot more. But this is a place to start, and especially in this text in First Peter. One of the ways we love each other deeply is to live with forbearance. Now that's not a word we usually use in the way we talk of love, but forbearance means we bear with each other. We're aware of our imperfect selves, and that makes us aware the person we're loving is imperfect as well. We recognize that we are not, we're in need of God's forgiveness for these multitude of sins. And so we can offer that to others. It doesn't mean our love forgives other sins. We know that our sins are covered by the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But because of that, that gives us the opportunity to look at others in the same way. Forbearance means that we're not going to be holding something against someone else. It's this deep love that provides a cover for the ways that others might hurt us. Another translation puts it this way. It's what means that we put up with one another because of love. You put up with me and my idiosyncrasies and my imperfections. I put up with you in the same way. Not that we um, never speak the truth, not that we would never um, ask somebody or challenge somebody, but love, deep love, covers over a multitude of sins. You know, think of it this way. 
Do you recognize your need for grace from God today? I mean, do you recognize how much he's forgiven you? When we sit in that place, we can look at others with the same eyes of grace and say, love covers over a multitude of sin. It allows us to recognize our sin and our need for grace and then to extend that to others. You know, we all are in this process of being shaped into the likeness of Jesus. None of us have arrived. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at others with deep love, we're acknowledging we're in this journey together, you and I. We are being shaped by Jesus, and so is the person sitting next to you and the person across the aisle. We're all in process, no matter our age. And that when we love each other deeply in that space, when we forbear with each other, when we allow for those sins and tolerate them in a sense, with not with never by ignoring them, but looking at others with grace. My imperfect self, looking at you with the same grace that I've received from Christ. This is forbearance. Jesus Christ himself, think of it how he lived this way on earth. And I'm thinking especially of his last night on earth when he met with his disciples. Talk about forbearing love that covered over a multitude of sins. He prayed with deep passion for his disciples, knowing they were going to desert him and deny him. Not much, a few hours hence. He gets on his knees And he washes the feet of his disciples, all of them, including Judas, who he knew was going to betray him. This is the kind of love that forbears, that keeps on loving in spite of a multitude of sins. So when Peter calls us to this in this passage, love each other deeply, it means sometimes overlooking things, over um, recognizing we We haven't gotten it all right, and so neither will others. This kind of love is like a covering. It's a covering that says, uh, that really irritated me, That right? I mean, do irritations happen in the church? Do irritations happen in relationships? Yes, they do. But we can say to each other, love, the love I've received from God, it covers over a multitude of sins. I can see you with those eyes of grace. That's what forbearance is. So what else does it mean to love each other deeply? Well, I think one of the things that Jesus um, demonstrated and that he calls us to in this deep love is a hospitable love. A love that has space for others at the table. The love of Jesus was not exclusive. And when we as followers of Jesus want to model our lives after his, it needs to be inclusive. There's always room for another person at the table. Peter says this in the next verse. I don't have it up on the screen, but he says it this way. Offer hospitality without, to one another without grumbling. Now, sometimes we think of that like, have somebody over for dinner, right? There's hospitality. Well, that might be part of it. But hospitality is an open gesture. Hands that are open to someone else. Maybe someone that's different from you. A space to say, you're included in this as well. Think of how Jesus modeled this, both at the table and his interactions with people. All were welcome to him. Everyone who, he, he drew people to himself. 
So in, in the church, when we love each other deeply in community, there aren't insiders and outsiders. There aren't mature ones and immature ones, right? There are people on the journey, and they're all included. And when we're hospitable to people, our community becomes like that. I mean, that can mean really specific things, like out in the welcome area, I'm not going to just talk to my best friend, but I'm going to have arms open wide to someone who might be new. It might mean even in our groups to say, there's always space at the table for one more. This hospitable love of Jesus is one way we love deeply, because otherwise it becomes ingrown, right? Jesus talks about this too. You know, you love these, those who love you. What good is that? I mean, you know, I'm going to hang out with these people because I know they love me and it's all good and fine. No, open your arms. Open the table. Hospitable love. I learned this some from my parents. We um, were in a church um, when I was younger and there was a woman there who had immigrated from Germany. Just post-war, you know, this was, she immigrated after the war and so there was kind of a lot of prejudice to people of German descent her um, family that was here passed away and so she was single by herself and so bit by bit my family kind of reached out to her um, she, she was actually one of my Sunday school teachers for a time but um, she had her idiosyncrasies her name was Erna she kind of got bristly when somebody would say something wrong but we kept inviting her in and having my parents would have her over for a meal and then nowhere to go for Christmas so let's invite her in for that and this and before long by the time um, I was probably in high school she was like a second grandma to us she was part of our family she didn't have any other family and so there was always a space at the table for Erna and as Erna passed uh, faced hospice and death it was our family, it was, she was ours, and we cared for her and walked with her. It was an example to me of that kind of hospitable love. Hmm. She didn't look like less. She had this, to her dying day, this real funny, beautiful German accent, and still a little prickliness too, but we loved Erna, and the space was open for her. This is an example of the kind of love God calls us to, where we get to move beyond the things that we see on the outside and it provide a hospitable place. I've seen this in groups here in church too, and I want to encourage you in this. This isn't to chastise, but to remind us this is the way we're called to love each other. Groups that have a space for people to come in and invite others in. Or people that will say, sure, I'll make a meal for that family. I don't know them. But I'll go and deliver a meal because there's a need. Or people who might say, yeah, I'll, I'll give a ride to that person. That's absolutely, there's room. There's room in my car. There's room at the table. There's room. This kind of giving, this kind of hospitable love is what deep love means. So if, if deep love is forbearing and it's also hospitable, the third one I want to just bring up today is deep love is patient. Now, if you're parents raising your kids in your home right now, you know how important this is. Think of the patience you have to have with a toddler. Think of the patience maybe that your middle schoolers have to have with you. I guess it goes both ways, right? Uh, but, but we take the long view of our children, right? We don't expect our three-year-old to act like a sixth grader. We don't expect our sixth grader to act like a freshman in college. We, we are patient, 
because we recognize there's development and growth. And this is the kind of love God has for us. He sees us over the long view. He doesn't see you just today. He sees you into the future, what he intends for you. And so when we love each other deeply, we look at the full view of people. And we're patient in the process. Um, the, Paul writes about this in Ephesians 4. He says, be, be completely humble and gentle. Takes that attitude. Be patient, he says. Bearing with one another. That forbearance again. In love. This patience which calls us to a humble place, recognizing I was once there too. And we walk with people with patience. We bring our true selves into the relationship, a growing self. God is patient with me as he continues to watch me grow. And we offer that kind of deep love and patience to others as well. Forbearance, hospitality, and patience. At least three marks of really what it means to love each other deeply. And it happens up close. We can't love each other in this deep way, you know, just sitting next to them in church or across the aisle. It has to come up person to person, life against life. So we're going to go to that next question, and I'm just going to answer part of it here. I think it's coming up here. What, how can we love each other deeply? How can we love each other deeply? Because it, it needs to happen in our lives. This kind of deep love is very different than shallow love. Think about what if you love somebody in a shallow way. Where you might just talk about your... Uh, you might get, bring your best self forward, right? Shallow love says, I'm going to spiff myself up and you're going to see my pretend self... And that's what I'm going to relate to you. And that's shallow love. And it creates kind of a pseudo-community where we're all kind of pretending and acting and not really bringing our true selves. So a, a deep love makes us beyond that. It moves us beyond that. You know, when we love in a shallow way, we just like to say nice things to each other and little compliments and all is well and we move on and we have surface relationships. And shallow love, it kind of has a demand on us. It says, I will love you if, or I will love you when you do this, or I will love you because you do this. I can only care for you this far. That's a shallow love. When love is shallow, we don't have patience for people in, um, in idiosyncrasies. We get uh, we don't desire to really connect or reach out to others who are different from us. That's a shallow love. When love is shallow, we focus on our preferences, our needs, what we want, what we like. And a deep love says, I'm going to sacrifice part of what I need or what I desire for the sake of others. So one of the ways we do that in the how part in growing to love others deeply, which, you know, I, I'm, it's like I'm a broken record about this one. But that is through groups. Through life groups, through connection groups, through student groups, where we are life upon life and get to know somebody in a deeper way. Life groups at Pine Lake Covenant are groups of 5 to 15 people who meet on a regular basis. Our students do this as Pastor Mark Neely said earlier, during the week as well. Where groups are meeting together, 
to share their faith journey, to be encouraged with one another, a smaller expression of the, of the greater church. And so in a life group, you're invited to bring your imperfect self into an imperfect group because I'll tell you, we have life groups here and none of them are perfect. Mm-hmm. So if you're hoping to join the perfect group, forget it. But if you're hoping to join a group, or be in a community with others who are being real about where they are with God and ready to journey with you and learn to love each other deeply, then I commend to you, connect with a group. Find a space where you can learn to be more yourself and you can love others more deeply. You know, it can be awkward. You know, you get to, you're in a group and you begin to share with each other and you think, ooh, they're oversharing or yikes, I don't want to hear all that. It might be beyond your own comfort zone. Persevere in it. Groups are a place where we can bring life upon life and grow with one another. And I just want to commend for you, in a couple of weeks we're going to be starting something called a sermon-based life group. So if you've never connected with a group before, this is a great time to do it. They're going to be eight weeks long, a time where you can just come in for a period of time, see how it works, and if you leave after eight weeks... No one's going to say, where did they go? (laughs) You can try it out. Um, These groups are going to meet all through the week. We have one on Sunday after this service with a light lunch and connecting together. Pastor JD is going to lead that. There's another morning one for women, a morning one for men, a Tuesday evening one for a mixed group. I just encourage you to think, can I for six weeks, enter in uh, eight weeks, enter into this experience of loving at your others deeply in a group? You know, sometimes people will say, I'm, I'm, I'm too busy. My kids are going in all directions. I can't. I just encourage you to rethink that and think about what it would be for just eight weeks, a couple of hours a night, to say, I'm going to connect with other people and learn what it is to love others deeply. That's one of the hows, how we do it here. Um, And I'm going to be out in the welcome area after the service to answer any questions about if you want to connect with group, I'd, I'd love for it. Because it's where we put into practice what Peter calls us to. Above all else, love each other deeply. So there's some other things. Okay, so what I'd like to do is uh, just kind of wrap this up by asking you, if, you, if you're able, to stand. And um, I want to lead you through a spiritual practice uh, meant to, to open up the possibilities of the Holy Spirit working in us. And I, I'm going to do kind of a heart inventory thing that is intended for uh, myself as well as all of us. So uh, just maybe close your eyes if that helps you focus. But I want to ask you a couple of questions. Um, do I love people I don't like? How do I do with that? Is there a wound that I have received in community that is preventing me from becoming part of a deeply loving community? Do I have a preference to pretend to love others shallowly from my pseudo-perfect self? Or love others deeply from my imperfect self.
we bring these questions um, of our hearts before Jesus who loves us perfectly. We bring our imperfect selves to Him. He can come into the areas of the heart that are resistant to His work. They just don't seem capable of doing what He asks us to do. To love those that we don't like. To heal the wounds that have come out of community in the past. And to give the inner energy and focus to love others deeply. Come, Lord Jesus. Come into our hearts. You might pray, come into my heart, Lord. Enlarge my heart by your love. Soften my heart to receive more of your love. Draw my heart to your loving heart in order that I might do your commandment to love others deeply. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I want to invite you uh, to come to for prayer. Up front, we'll have a group over here, uh, a prayer team. And um, these are imperfect people that would love to pray for imperfect people. And um, if, if God has stirred something up in you this morning, that might be a prompting to come. Or if there's a need in your life that's just overwhelming right now. Or you want to pray for somebody else with somebody else. Those are all good reasons to come for prayer.